At the Cryptid Keeper podcast, we love to laugh at the darkness, but we would never laugh at the rich cultures that explore it, or the unique cultural significance of the creatures explored. The jokes within are on no one but us. We encourage additional research on the subjects covered here, and hope that a comedy podcast is not your primary source of information. to the Cryptid Keeper podcast, the podcast for cryptids and their keepers. That's us, and if you're listening, it's you too. I'm Alex Flanagan. And I'm Addison Peacock. And this is our first episode in a long while of Cryptid Keeper After Dark. <laughs> the subject material itself is no different, it's just we're recording kind of late. <laughs> I was going to say, also, like, to be fair, it's winter now, so or it's, like, pretty much winter so now. So dark is pretty early. It's yeah, all relative. Yeah, so dark happens at, like, 4.30. <laughs> so. Hi, welcome to Cryptid Keeper After Dark, 3 p.m. <laughs> yeah. Like, so. Cryptid Keeper After Dark is, like, an early dinner, like, but, mm-hmm. uh, no, it's true. This is the latest we've recorded in a, in a bit, I think. In a bit. And now we don't even have a time zone excuse, right? Like, this is just... No, <laughs> this just happened. Uh, yeah. But, you know, um, hope that if you celebrated any sort of holiday this past week, that it was an enjoyable one for you. The harvest. I hope that you found a way to celebrate the bountiful harvest, to find a moment of stillness and plenty in your life, and hopefully to give back to others in a way that was meaningful to you. Absolutely. And I hope that if potatoes are your thing, I hope you had... Sweet and savory varieties, uh, and enjoyed them. Oh, I love potatoes. I had some today. I had sweet potatoes, and I had regular potatoes. Uh, Proud of you. With mushroom gravy on the regular potatoes. I know. I'm actually really mad, because I'm not going to get to eat the leftovers for as many days as I'm used to being able to, because I have to fly home in the morning. Because you have to fly back to sunny California. I have to fly to my other home, my West Coast home, tomorrow morning. Exactly. I might eat pie for breakfast, though. I mean, live your truth, chase your bliss, eat your pie, it's fine. I definitely had a homemade cinnamon roll here at like 6am with a cup of tea. That sounds so nice. I had pecan pie for breakfast today as well. Um, (laughs) And now we're going to skip the food discussion because this is probably making some people uncomfortable. So, Oh, sorry. I mean, it's, you know, we'll put a a little content warning on the beginning to skip past if, if food chat's not your deal. For sure. Sorry about that. I just got into, like, pedestrian small talk. I don't know what that was. Um, (laughs) But, yes, it's been a holiday season. Hope if you were celebrating anything that it was good. And uh, when this rolls out, we will pretty much be, like, fully immersed into the Christmas adjacent season. You mean the rest of you will be fully immersed (laughs) into the holiday season. Um, Finally, the world will catch up. (laughs) Is what you are saying. Yes, we'll all be joining you on Christmas Island. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. You You and the the jack-in-the-box that doesn't quite work and the nutcracker (laughs) that can't crack nuts. We're on the island of misfit toys. I don't remember what all the misfit toys are. The only thing wrong with the -the jack-in-the-box is that his name is Charlie. That is wild. Is that his flaw? And the doll? (laughs) There's nothing wrong with the doll that we find out about. She must be like a serial killer or something. (laughs) The doll's... Whatever the doll's fatal character flaw is, it's never addressed. And she's a perfectly normal doll. 
I remember nothing about the Island of Misfit Toys, so this is actually blowing oh, my mind man, a little bit. Oh, man, you've got to rewatch Rudolph. It's so choice. I haven't seen it in so long. Uh, speaking I, of islands and their populations, I do have to issue a correction <laughs> in the oh. last episode. Um, I hecked up. I checked a source, and it was an unreliable source. And because it's a word that I see much more often than I say out loud, I spent a great portion of the episode mispronouncing the word Maori, and I apologize. So there it is. I can say it. She can be taught. And I would just like to issue my formal apologies to anybody who was uh, horribly ear-wronged by that pronunciation. <laughs> just screaming at their speaker system slash phone slash whatever that was on. I went to so much trouble trying to be like, how do I pronounce Wairiki? And then I just packed it up. I just I understand it right completely. I, I've, as someone who's been on both sides of the screaming at your phone mm-hmm. slash computer because of someone just not getting it. Very sorry, but also, and I've been there, and we are all human, I think, and fallible. <laughs> On this show, less than others, I would be willing to assume that our listenership is mostly human, but, I, you know, it's it's hard to say. We don't want to exclude anybody, so if you are human or human-aligned or nowhere on that particular humanoid spectrum, you're still welcome to join us. Um, oh my god, what if you just found out that Mothman <laughs> has been listening this whole time? Oh man, oh now I'm nervous. <laughs> oh, don't. He loves you just the way you are. You don't have to impress him. Indrid, I love you, baby. <laughs> um, um, okay. So are you ready I, to stop me? Are you ready to cut me so off I from all my sins? <laughs> I brought something. So last week we, we definitely uh, tapped back into the roots of what something actually is when it's encrypted, which is to say uh-huh. an animal that's not necessarily... Uh, proven or disproven and definitely could exist and reasonably probably does, but there's no proof. So I'd like to just veer off of that course and go back into uh, familiar waters for me. Essentially, in this metaphor, I guess I've driven my car off the road and into the water. It's an aquatic vehicle. It's, <laughs> it's not okay. how cars work. It's equipped. I have an aquatic vehicle. It's equipped for the water as well. And uh, you're all riding in the passenger seat with me. And we are going to learn about... Uh, I wanted something seasonal. So okay. I... Went back to I went to the familiar waters of yokai. Love it. And I pulled a bunch of information on the Yuki Ona or the Snow Woman. Oh, very cool. Yes. So a wintry figure that I wanted to talk about. Um, if you remember our episode on the Kuchisake Ona, you probably are figuring out that the suffix of Ona means that means woman. I had a hunch. <laughs> I was gonna say this. There's no relation between the two aside from the fact that they are both female-coded. This is the Snow Woman. I would like to start by talking about her entry on just the, since I couldn't refer to the cryptids wiki this episode because she is not featured on it, I would like to hop over to yokai.com, which has just a huge database of information about- Another tremendous resource. Oh yeah, so much stuff about various yokai. There's like, you can find it listed alphabetically, you can find them, there's lists of different books about them if you want to dive into the information much more, there's all sorts of stuff. But the page on the Yukiona, she's obviously the snow woman, she's found in mountain passes and pretty much anywhere there is snow or icy weather- she, her diet, according to this site, I enjoy this, is life energy, can also eat ordinary food. Same? <laughs> if she doesn't want life energy. Like, I can eat ordinary food. I would prefer life energy. Wouldn't we all? I do find myself lacking on occasion. <laughs> oh. oh, no, same here. Okay, so 
she appears uh, to people, travelers lost in heavy snowstorms that blanket the Japanese mountains in the winter. They have this otherworldly, and there's, this is as Unlike the Kuchisake Ona, which is a little bit more implied to be just like one person, there's a little bit more variety in the Yuki Ona. So this particular page refers to them as like a type of ghost, basically. It depends on which version of the story you follow. Uh-huh. So just as sort of a primer right now, I'll say the source doesn't go into it. But Yuki Ona have been thought of as either sort of a nature spirit, like a snow ghost that isn't was never a person, but is sort of like a, a winter spirit. There's that idea. There's the idea that there's some sort of malignant monster, or there's the idea that they are the ghosts of young women uh, that died of freezing to death. So there's a lot of variety. So there's either like the idea that it's a singular entity, if it's like the snow, this snow ghost, like she's the snow spirit, or is mm-hmm. it just any woman who dies from hypothermia or freezing is becomes one? And there's a couple, there's a lot of variety. So this particular entry says they, and then some others I refer to will say she. So just to avoid confusion, it depends on what gotcha. version of the story they're pulling from. There are about four different versions of the story, and I'll touch on those in a bit. But maybe she uses changeable pronouns. Yeah, that's also true. But some of this is referring as if there's like a whole bunch of them, and as well, and that's also fair. There's like a gap of them but she is legion i respect her it's true honestly i feel like you're gonna really have really enjoy i really enjoy the yukiona i'm into it already i want to i want to pen pal the <laughs> okay has an otherworldly beauty with long black hair and piercing eyes colored deep violet skin is ageless and white as snow leak your skincare routine please um <laughs> they're like just smooth beautiful like a snowbank i'm like oh how does she do it but their bodies are cold as ice a mere touch is enough to give a human a deep unshakable chill they feed on human life force, sucking it from their mouths with an icy breath that often freezes the victim solid. So that's the Imagine uh, if this had been the twist in Twilight. Imagine if oh. if Bella Swan had been like, I know what you are. Your skin is ice cold. You're 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 horribly pale. You can't go out in the sun. You're you're a vampire. And he's like, What? No, are you what? <laughs> no, what? That's, not. that's completely crazy. No, I'm a yokai. <laughs> I was a beautiful young man who died in a snowbank in the mountains yeah, of Japan. Bella, that doesn't make any sense. Listen to yourself. Do you know what a vampire is? <laughs> God. You sound ridiculous. Um, they're actually... Jeez, this, is, this is embarrassing. Can we pretend this never happened? When I get into the... I want to talk... Something I want to talk about that I haven't touched on in a bit when I've covered something is the uh, rich vein of pop culture connections for the Yuki Ona. And there is actually a male variant that I don't think appears in folklore anywhere, but definitely does appear in a dating sim that I'm going to talk about. But not right now. (laughs) We'll get there. Um, So I'd like to hop over to anomalyinfo.com, which has a little entry on Yuki Ona. And um, it talks about all the stories, but it specifically talks about, I'd like to start with sort of the first uh, journalist and like folklorist who sort of compiled the story for a Western audience. So there was um, a, this name, I tried to find a pronunciation and oh, I I couldn't find a good one. So I'm just gonna have to guess with this man's first name. Um, His name was Lafcadio Hearn. He was a traveling journalist. He was born in Greece to an Irish father and a Greek mother. So there's a fun, uh, like, sort of mashup with his name there. And that's sort of why I don't know Greek pronunciation at all. And I was like, oh, no. Um, but he was a newspaper writer. He wrote, This was in the uh, late – he was born in 1850, died in 1904. So that's the sort of range of his life. He 
went to Japan and took a teaching position in 1890 after being a writer in Cincinnati and the New Orleans and all throughout the U.S. For a while, he was a traveling editorialist and a reporter. Then he moved. Can you imagine anything more confusing than, I'm sorry, can you imagine oh, yeah. anything more confusing than being a native Japanese speaker trying to understand the English of someone with a Greek-Irish accent? Oh, no, I can't. <laughs> um, so he moved to when he moved to, he moved to Japan to teach and he decided he liked it so he married the daughter of a samurai he accepted Jap- Japanese citizenship in 1896 and then he began teaching at the University of Tokyo so I'm assuming he picked up speaking Japanese fairly well otherwise I, I don't imagine he would. <laughs> I hope so he became the interpreter of Japan and its customs to the English-speaking world essentially he wrote all these books about Japanese history and Japanese life for um, an English academic audience so he um, he had learned the language well enough to read old manuscripts and folk tales, and so he was one of the first people to start writing about these in English. And so he, I believe, as far as I could tell, is the first person to like first Western writer to write about the this particular folk tale of the Yukiona. So it's acknowledged that he's the first person to tell it in writing, and he got it straight from the storyteller's mouth. He stated in the introduction of his book, which is called Kwaidan, Stories and Studies of Strange Things, published in 1904, that the story of Yuki Ona, which is presented in the book, was told to him by a farmer in Chofu. His name was Nishitamagori uh, in Mu. It's, Musha- it's in Musashi province. The city no longer exists, I think. No, it, it does. Okay, the way it was written was weird. Uh, but it actually, it, it is now a city in the western end of Tokyo. So the Yukiona may have once walked where modern Tokyo now exists. That's what the Ooh. little article says, which I loved. And he told the tale as a story of his village. So this is, his to summarize his version, the version that Hearn uh, tells in his book, which again was called Kwaidan, um, stories and studies of strange things. This this story tells about an older man named Masaku and a younger man named Minokichi left their village one winter's day to gather firewood, only to be caught when a storm started. They took shelter in a small hut and fell asleep there. Minokichi awoke in the middle of the night to discover the hut's door open and a ghostly white woman, both beautiful and terrifying, leaning over Masaku, the older man, and gently breathing white mist over him. When she turned to Minokichi, he immediately feared for his life, but the woman offered to spare him if he swore never to tell anyone what he had seen that night. Obviously, he said, okay, I won't tell anyone, and then she left the hut, and when he turned to his friend, he found that he had frozen to death. He kept his word for years and told no one, not even his beloved wife, who he married a year after. They lived a simple and happy life, raising their ten children, but the memory of that hideous night always haunted him. One evening, as the children slept and his wife sat quietly mending some clothes, he was suddenly struck by how much his wife looked like that strange woman of many years ago as the firelight flickered across her features. Without thinking, he started to tell her about the night and how much she reminded him of it at the moment. She set aside her sewing and listened patiently, and when he finished the story, his wife rose, now completely snow-white and enraged, and told him the only reason she wouldn't kill him immediately was for the sake of the children. Warning him strongly to never give them reason to complain, she drifted out into the night and disappeared into the falling snow forever. That's the story. That's the version that was first published. Wow. Yeah, I love it. 
And then it was published, when it was published in Japanese, uh, there, it was sort of, the, the legend sort of, like, the book, when Kwaidan was published in Japanese, the story got this sort of resurgence in, like, urban Japan with people who didn't, like, have this connection to the older story. So it got this kind of pop culture mm-hmm. resurgence, and then all these movies ended up being made about her, um, and then it sort of just took on another life. Now I have one minor qualm with this story, which is just to say that if you have 10 children, you aren't quietly mending anything. <laughs> I'm, I was wondering what your qualm would be, and I do like that that's the one. That's like, no, 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 no. That's, that immediately takes me out of the suspension of disbelief. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I I didn't mean. I'm so sorry that it ruined it for you. I mean, everything else I can I can get into. You know, I can subscribe to every other detail of this story. But well, I mean, I guess there are reasons why they're folk tales, right? Certain things get exaggerated, and oh yeah, of course. Now I'll get into a little bit more of the different versions of the story. But something I do love that this particular article goes into is the fact that there are a lot of versions, not of this story, but of the idea of a human man accidentally marrying a supernatural woman and then she has to hide her secret or then she, when he discovers it, she leaves. Uh, That that shows up so frequently, like around the world. Yes, it does. But, uh, and particularly I recognize it from a lot of Japanese folklore. Um, There's like a cow wife, a shark wife. There's the, I mentioned the Furukuchi Ono, the woman with the second mouth. Mm-hmm. There's a version of the of the story surrounding her that involves a human man marrying her, and then her secret is revealed when her second mouth tries to eat her husband. Um, well, that would be something of a giveaway. Yeah. Um, there's next there, time. Just stick to the first mouth. Just use the first mouth for husband eating. Exactly. <laughs> Alex, no. You only need one. Anyway. <laughs> but. <laughs> Smaller bites. I'm hung up right now. I gotta. You've you've, you've (laughs) thrown me off. I'm lost. No. But there are other uh, people in the English-speaking world also got very excited about the idea of um, Yuki Ona. Um, The stories sort of got adapted into other um, into other versions. There was a writer in 1908 named Frederick Hadland Davies who published a story called The Great White Face, which told a story about a married man with a wandering eye who was seduced by the Yukiona, nearly who was nearly killed by her, uh, sucking his life essence away. He's rescued by the timely arrival of his wife, and then he learns his lesson about not cheating on his wife. That's what that story is. Um, oh, interesting. Which is, I guess it takes a near-death experience for this man in the story to realize he shouldn't cheat on his wife. But anyway... <laughs> Um, uh, there in 1908, Richard Gordon Smith released a book, Ancient Tales and Folklore of Japan, and he included a tale of a ghost that asks for shelter from a snowstorm as it's traveling to a village. And then essentially it's the spirit of a young woman who died that year previously in the cold of winter. And then he, uh, opens and closes his tale with the following statements. Perhaps there are not many, even in Japan, who have heard of the Yukiona snow ghost. It is little spoken of, except in the higher mountains, which are continually snow-clad in the winter. I need to- this guy is really irritating me. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. And then also, this is his version, and this is where you get some of the mix-ups about it being 
a spirit of a person who died in the snow. Um, he closes it with, That is roughly my story of the Yuki Ona. All those who die by the snow and cold become spirits of snow, appearing when there is snow, just as the spirits of those who are drowned in the sea only appear in stormy seas. That, that was his kind of idea of it, which sort of perpetrated the idea that instead of it being like one entity or other ent- or a group of another kind of entity that these were spirits of a person who had died however in Japan like in the Japanese take on the story it is not considered to be just a ghost like a spirit of a dead person like I, I definitely mm-hmm. should make sure I make that super clear it's pretty much in like when a lot of like European writers took the story and ran with it, that they were the ones who came up with the idea that it was, at least as far as I can find, that it was the spirit of a woman who died in the snow, as opposed to a purely supernatural non-human entity. So Europeans just really love sad ghost stories. We love sad ghosts, man. We just love them. And there is a lot of sort of uh, differing accounts of how far back the story goes, but it is definitely clear that the story has been around at least Mm -hmm. in some form since 1737 in Japan. That's like the earliest, that's the earliest portrayal that we can find. There's an illustration by Japanese artist Sawaki Sushi uh, in 1737 created for his scroll Hayakai Zukan, which is the illustrated volume of a hundred demons. And the scroll is a collection of illustrations of monsters in literature, folklore, and art at the time. And the illustration particularly, it's labeled as a ghostly woman in the snow and is labeled with the phrase Yuki Ona, when it shows the basic elements associated with her now. You've got the white kimono and skin and long black hair and snow. So that's sort of the loose, uh, the loose, like earliest cool. form we can find of her. And then there are other illustrations throughout the 1700s by different artists of essentially a go- yeah, ghostly woman in a white kimono, dark hair that's untied and then labeled in, in a snowy backdrop labeled with Yuki Ona. And so that appears... Throughout illustrations in the 1700s, there's just not as much text regarding her until a lot later. But you have particularly her inclusion in what is meant to be a compilation of monsters is what appeals to me, is interesting to me. I feel like it's hard for Western audiences, and I say this generally, I mean, there are obviously people in Western audiences who are very well-versed with the lore and the culture in what I'm sure are very, you know, academic and respectful ways. But I feel like it's hard for, I'll just say me then, to fully appreciate, I guess, the the effect or the impact of seeing, like, a ghost in a kimono, because I don't have a reference point for what, like, the cultural mm-hmm. context for that specific kind of wear is. Like, there would be something very different between seeing a ghost in a ball gown or seeing a ghost yeah. in, like... A sweater, right? Like, those are very different kinds of things. And, like, the specificity of kimono, I feel like it has to mean something, and I just don't know what that thing is. Exactly. I don't know if you have any more context for that. I honestly, I don't, aside from the fact that it indicates that she's young. Like, it's usually for, like, a young woman. And that is what I have in what she's wearing. The white is interesting. They're worn usually for festivals or like formal occasions now. Yeah, but I didn't know what the context was then. Yeah. Do you do you even know if it indicates any sort of like social standing? Well, I'm imagining that would depend on what it's made out of or how it's or if 
how, if it's ornate as opposed to sim more simple, but I, even then I'm not really sure. And I wish I knew more about it, actually. I went down the specific folklore rabbit hole mm -hmm. and didn't really get a chance to delve into sort of the broader context that she lives in. Um, yeah, that's totally fine. It's like a weird thing for me to latch onto, but it's, no, absolutely. I, I'm very fascinated by the ways in which like those kinds of cues inform the way that we perceive things. And I mm -hmm. feel like we're probably missing a big piece of that puzzle or that influence just because mm -hmm. when we do talk about ghost stories in like the European tradition, we do tend to focus a lot on what they're wearing and like oh, what absolutely. that means to us. I am Whereas, dropping an image of her in the in the chat cool. just for you. One of the older artistic renderings. Um, this is the one that I mentioned from Sawaki Sushi in the 1700s. Awesome. And I do want to mention that the only thing I, because this is all I really have, um, is, is my background with stories and the sort of Western and European perspective. I do want to mention that there is a tradition, a grand tradition of ghost stories involving women in white. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, definitely. And so there is something very evocative about that image for me, even though it is obviously not in the way that it originally was, I guess, if that makes sense. Totally. I I hear the woman in white and I guess I could say see that very clearly. There's also, if you what if you consume a large amount of Japanese horror, there is something also to be said for women in white with long dark hair being a very pervasive image. And I need to spend more time on researching why that is specifically and sort of the origin of that. But mm -hmm. um, the most popular images in Japanese horror films uh, are the woman in the grudge and the woman in and the little girl in the ring. And both of those are very much woman in white with long, long dark hair. Yeah. And I definitely have a reference point for that. I just, I don't know. These are the kinds of things I wonder about at night. Oh, no, Absolutely. I do want to mention, I said specifically that the earliest discussion of the Yukiona by name is in the 1700s, but the actual, mm -hmm. there are accounts of what might be her or something similar dating back further. So there is a story by um, the Japanese poet and Zen monk Sogi, who was alive from 1421 to 1502. Mm -hmm. So a good deal earlier and this uh this account specifically this translation or whatever or discussion of it is pulled from strangerdimensions.com and this discusses he wrote of a mysterious woman uh, approaching him in the snow a extraordinarily pale beautiful woman wearing an equally pale kimono who was outside of his home in echigo standing near a bamboo thicket and she stood at nearly 10 feet tall. Pretty tall. So mesmerized by the sight of her, yeah, he called out to her, but she ignored him and instead walked silently toward his vegetable garden. Then, as quickly as she had appeared, she dissolved into the cold and snowy air, and he never saw her again. So not a particularly menacing story, but just no, a little... just kind of has that wistfulness and, you know, melancholy to it that a lot of ghost stories have. Exactly. Just sort of wandering through. And of course, it doesn't mention her by name, but specifically it's latched onto because the beautiful pale woman in the snow wearing a kimono the same color as her skin, essentially, if she's meant mm -hmm. to be like white as the snow, quite literally. It's a very bleak kind of effective winter image to me. And I found it just so sort of resonant that I latched onto it. And that's why I wanted to talk about it today. Yeah, definitely. Now I have done some Googling and I'm not sure if any of this is reasonable. <laughs> um, 
I have only the most, like, AP world history understanding of, like, periods and transitions in Japanese history. But uh, what I have found so far is that during the specific time period we're talking about, the kimono was pretty specifically the domain of men and women of the samurai class. So it indicated at least, like, a pretty specific social standing. Like, these these women, when you saw them, the yuki-ona, like, it was not evoking poverty, right? It wasn't evoking, like, poor people who had died in the snow, which is interesting because, I guess to me, I'm kind of thinking, like, people who are dying of exposure, that's usually not wealthy people, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's a very different narrative than people who die by other means. There seems to be this sort of, and it appears in only some of the versions, but there seems to be this, this version or this idea that it's connected to people who are not used to being out in the snow and get lost. Yeah, and it's there's this sort of like elegance to them, right? It's very interesting. Yeah, that's wild. Well, it reminds me of how a lot of classic ghosts that appear seem to be like a woman in a ball in a gown or like things like I feel like people who are elegantly dressed, I don't know, a lot of the time mm-hmm. with spirits or and then of course if she's not necessarily a spirit that was ever human, then there's sort of the idea that if she is some sort of deity or if she is some sort of um, spirit of temptation of the cold, that she would be elegantly dressed. You know, it is going to be such a bummer if we cross over to the other side and find out that, like, the reason we only ever see rich ghosts is because all the other ghosts still have to have day jobs. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going to be so pissed. Oh, oh my god. Anyway, I just thought that was fascinating because when I'm thinking of like tragic deaths that occur because of the elements, like I'm usually not thinking of like wealthy people who just wander out of their homes. I'm thinking of like poor people who don't have options, right? Like Yeah, of course. That's fascinating. Also, um just something that I think is interesting is that she is according to my next according to my next source, which is hiyakomonogatari.com. Uh, which has a lot of yokai posts. And um, this particular entry says that she is often described as not leaving any footprints on the snow where she walks, which is how you know she's not a human a woman. And I love that. That makes me very, I don't know, that makes me excited. Ooh. It's just like, I love, I'm such a sucker for little ghost touches in stories. Like, um, you know, the classic story about like the guy picking up the hitchhiker and she tells him to take her home and then he takes her to the graveyard and she leaves her scarf. And so he takes it to, and so he uh, to, like goes um, to like the address or like where she said she was from and and then uh, they're like, she's been dead for 30 years. That's that's my jam. It's good stuff. Yeah, it's good. It's really good. Um, or like the other version is like he loans her his scarf because it's cold. And she like gets out and he's like, oh, I never got my scarf back. And he goes to the graveyard and her his scarf is just on a gravestone. Just like, oh, here it is. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the help. Um, uh, so this entry is extremely one of the more detailed ones I found. So it's very exciting. It has a lot of the regional variants on the story, which is one of my favorite things, is the way that different areas of a country can have just completely different versions of the same legend. Um, and first of mm-hmm. all, before I go to those, I do want to say uh, there are a bunch of variations on her name as well. So there's Yukiona, which is the most prevalent one. There are also some regional variations, um, and they're basically all just different things followed by, like, they're different things with the prefix of Yuki. It's always snow. But you have okay, cool. Yuki Onba, which means, like, snow nursing mother. You have Yuki Musume, which means snow daughter. 
You have Yuki Onago, which is Snow Young Woman. You have Yuki Anesa, which is Snow Older Sister. And you have Yuki Nyobo, which is Snow Wife. So they're essentially like all these, essentially just a lot of different specific descriptors for the woman followed by, or prefaced, goodness, can't talk, by Snow. Um, So some of her variations on her story also just to discuss the areas really quickly where she appears and when she appears. She appears um, a lot in Tohoku um, and the Frozen North. She uh, There's a lot of stories from uh, Nagano and Nagata. There are stories mm-hmm. a lot from all the way uh, pretty much everywhere except Okinawa and Hokkaido has a version of the story. Hokkaido is an interesting one because that's a pretty snowy area of Japan, but they don't really seem to have a version of the story, which I thought was wild. But um, in some of the prefectures in the Aomori and Awate prefecture, she appears during um, a holiday. It's Koshigatsu, which means Little New Year's. It takes place on January 15th, and it's the end of New Year's festivities. So that's when she, she comes on. And then in other places, she comes on new year's day and leaves on february 1st so she's got very specific seasons where she it's it's yukiona season i guess i guess so the link between those is a little bit obscure like why she's there the link between the times and her presence this is where it appears there there's some discussion about if she was some sort of deity so there is some discussion over whether people now associate her with those times because she was a like good fortune or bad fortune deity with the coming year or that mm-hmm. she had something to do with the mountain god um so she was sort of like a, a shrine maiden of the mountain god bringing these blessings of like fertility and a good harvest so there's that's sort of what people think the origin might be in terms of the areas that associate her with that then other places say she only comes during full moons with new fallen snow that is such a specific visual mm-hmm. right like that is so atmospheric and frankly i respect the dedication to the bit i love (laughs) the look if you could only show up under those specific circumstances like make it count right it's so good um mothers in ahime prefecture warn are warned not to let their children out to play on such nights so mm -hmm. but uh now i'd like to scroll down to the variations on the story so we've got from Totori Prefecture, this is the water beggar variation. This version says, The Yuki Ona travels on the wind and appears on days with a light snowfall. She walks through the town swinging a white gohai wand and shouting, Please give me water, hot or cold, to anyone she meets. If you give her cold water, she swells in size. If you give her hot water, she melts and disappears. Oh, You've got the Moon Princess from Yamagata Prefecture. Uh, this one says, The Yuki Ono was once a princess of the lunar world and lived on the moon. Her life was full of luxury and indulgence and extremely boring. She became fascinated looking at the world below, and so she snuck out one night and fell down to earth, traveling on the snow. However, coming down was easier than going back up, and she became stuck on the earth. On snowy nights of the full moon, she appears, pining for her old home. That's kind of sad. No, that one's like beautiful and sad. That one makes me feel feelings. Um, 
sorry about the sorry about the train. Um, this variation is the snow vampire. Uh, this is from the Almori, Nagata, and Miyagi prefectures. So this is the Yukiona is a terrible yokai that haunts the snowy forests looking to feed. She lives by sucking the vital energy of the human body. She extracts the seiki, that's what it's called, by first freezing her victims to death, then sucking their souls out through their mouths. This type of yukiona is particularly nasty in Nagata, where it is said she prefers the seiki of children. Um, I was doing like spooky hands the whole time I was talking too. I don't know if you could hear I it. I felt it. I felt it. Thank you. It. I'm really glad. So I love this one a lot. I don't know why. I just, uh, the interactivity of it, I think, freaks me out a little bit. So this is from uh, Ibaraki, Fukushima, Akita, and Fukui prefectures. I'm so sorry for my Japanese pronunciation to any listeners who speak Japanese or just know enough to know that I'm bad at it. I'm trying, but there are a lot of place names when I'm talking about this, and I do not know them all. Um so this version of the Yukiona has a particular trait. She needs to engage her victims in conversation in order to attack. When she meets someone on a dark and snowy night, she will call out to them. If the person answers her greeting, she attacks. Unless you're from Fukushima or the Ibaraki prefecture, in those cases, the Yukiona only attacks those who ignore her. So, too bad. Oh, you just can't win. You just can't win. Women, am I right? Oh no. I'm in the 80s again at a stand up show. Anyone who ignores her, she grabs and throws into a nearby ravine. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm like, same. No, not really. Oh. <laughs> just, oh my gosh. Just the idea Who of. Who amongst us has never? This woman, like, basically, you're walking down a snowy road in the middle of the night, and this woman yells, Hey! And then you keep walking because, you know, a stranger. And she picks you up and throws you into a ravine. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah, that is rough. I'm sorry. What if you're not anywhere near a ravine? Like, how far is she willing to go for this bit? I don't know. Like, how committed is she to the ravine thing specifically? I don't know. Maybe if there's not... Like, all right, pal. If you're not near a ravine, she just finds, like, a small ditch. It's, like, not going to kill you or anything. And she just (laughs) kind of dumps you. She's, like, she just finds, like, a pothole and she dumps you in there. Like, don't be rude. (laughs) That's it. And then she leaves. (laughs) She just, she slings you over her shoulder like a sack of potatoes, walks you to a pothole, just flops you down into it and says, hey, buddy, don't be rude. And then she leaves. Just knock it off, all right? Leaving no footprints in her wake. Um, (laughs) So another uh, version, you've got um, some accounts. And this is, I'm always a sucker for this, so you know I had to include it. Um, You've got the idea that she is not a snow spirit or a non-human thing of any kind, but the ghost of a woman seeking revenge. This comes from Chikamatsu Monzaimon's puppet play, which is called Yuki Ona Gomai Hakoita, which means um, the five battle doors of the Yuki Ona. And essentially in this story, she's a woman who was, excuse me, a woman who was deceived, led into the forest and murdered. She manifests as the Yuki Ona in order to get her revenge. And you can find variations on the theme combining her beauty and the snow and like all of the elements about her with revenge and murder can be found Mm -hmm. um, in Aomori, Yamagata, Iwate, Akita, Fukushima, Nagata, Nagano, Wakiyama, and Eima prefectures. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I'm so sorry. 
And then, of course, the version that most people know is the one I mentioned already, the one where the man is out with his uh, with his older friend. They get trapped in the storm, all of that. He marries a woman who turns out, surprise, Sam Ghost. Somehow he did not recognize her all this time, even though in the story it's made clear that she looks the same. Yeah, um, that is the wild thing. It's not like his wife looked totally different and he told her the story and then he looked back and it's the ghost from before. It specifically says in the story that he was looking at her and thinking, wow, my wife looks so much like that snow ghost I met. Um, Which he noticed only only after he's had 10 children with her. Yeah. Which frankly raises a lot of questions about ghost biology. And also just about their marriage. Yeah, there's that too. Oh no. <laughs> what if this guy just had no idea how kids work and she just like brings them home one day? Like they're just somebody else's kids, and she just like brings them home. She's like, we had a kid. And he's like, Whoa. Oh my god, maybe. Oh my god. Also, just this made me happy. I thought it was nice. A little note from the author of this particular page. I don't see the person's actual name listed. I don't know if that's deliberate and they want to be. Oh, there it is. I uh, couldn't find it. Zach Davison is the writer of this. And I just thought this was a nice little detail. He said that he had wanted to write this for a bit. It says, I've been wanting to do Yuki Ona for a long time. I'm especially fond of the Yuki Ona because my wife's name is Miyuki, which translates as beautiful snow. Now here's the thing. <laughs> I'm just um, saying, hey, sir. Hey, Zach. Hey, Zach, my guy. Did you meet a snow ghost a few years back and then father 10 children with Miyuki and now maybe she's, maybe she's, just while we're talking about that, I just happened to spot that the wife of the man who wrote this article's name is Miyuki, which means snow. Is there a little afterward where he's like, as I was writing this article, I looked over my wife and happened to notice. (laughs) No, I wish. I so deeply wish. Now, of course, uh, there's, um... Just obviously a lot of talk about the potential that the Yuki Ona is a sort of way to explain. Like, we talk about this a lot. A lot of these stories exist as ways to explain things, the bad things that happen. And sure, of obviously hypothermia and frostbite and all this, they kill, that kills people. And the way that you die in the cold like that is like this slow loss of vitality. And a, a lot of time people fall asleep and then they die. And so the idea that you have this ghostly woman who sucks the life out of people while they sleep, if they're out mm-hmm. in the snowy area, like it's not hard to see how that could be born from the idea of just people dying in the cold. But I do. Th- so that is something I want to bring up because that is something we talk about a lot is how these stories come about. It's because we want to have something to blame for terrible things that happen. Definitely, and yeah. So definitely feel like it's important to bring that up. I have so many, like, I have a lot of other articles like a, that bring her up, but um, that I don't really necessarily think I have time to go into because I want to hop into the pop culture stuff. But mm-hmm. I do want to also say right now that there's a fun article that I found while looking into the Yuki Ona called, um, it's from tokyoweekender.com, and it's from 2015. Uh, and it is All the Old Haunts, A Yokai Guide to Tokyo and Beyond. And it's just a regional guide to all the famous yokai from different parts of uh, Japan and particularly the, to- the Tokyo area. And it's just got, it's just kind of fun to look into um, sort of the different areas and a lot of things like it talks about Tanuki, it talks about the Yuki Ona, it talks about all kinds of stuff. And it's just a fun little read about just the regional mm-hmm. different things. Um, we've got like, it talks about the like, Kitsune and all the different sort of like the places, the little pockets of Japan where they're the most 
quote-unquote prevalent, like where you're most li- maybe most likely to see one, though that's not the tone of the piece. But yeah, that's just something I wanted to plug because I was reading it while I was reading about Yukiona. There's a little part about her, but the whole piece is, is fun. Um, but I'd like to talk about the Yukiona in pop culture, if I may. You may. Thank you. Um, so first of all, as you might have imagined, as with a lot of yokai I've mentioned, uh, she appears in a lot of... Uh, anime and manga. So you can find Yuki Ona type characters. You've got Vampire Princess Miyu, which I have not read or seen, um, but the character Reha is a Yuki Ona. In Rosario Vampire, the character Mizure Shirayuki is a teenaged Yuki Ona described as a snow fairy. Uh, in the Inuyasha anime, I must not have made it to this episode because I used to watch Inuyasha, Yuki Ona serves as the episode antagonist of episode 101. Uh, in One Piece, there is a character's assistant who is nicknamed Yukiona by her use of the snow snow fruit. I don't know what One Piece is about. Pirates, I think. I um, think pirates, but I also think one of them is Mr. Fantastic. Oh, in uh, Inuboku SS, Nobara Yukino... Nope. <laughs> I did not pronounce her name right. Nobara Yukino Koji, uh, who is somebody's secret surgeon who's a secret service agent apparently is a yukiona you said like secret surgeon for a second i was wondering (laughs) how that works i I messed up i messed up i talked bad i did a bad talking job like are you my secret santa no i'm your secret surgeon let me get at those organs this is a terrible christmas (laughs) um uh but there's actually a whole entry on the yukiona on tvtropes.com or .org tv tropes which is one of my one of my uh, favorite websites and that's how i found some of the fun interpretations and actually something that i love uh to see is just like some of the really wide leaps people take on tv tropes Mm -hmm. and somebody uh mentions in this particular article that they're not necessarily that it's derived from it deliberately but just that it's very interesting to look at the yukiona and like this sort of potentially malevolent like spirit supernatural woman in the snow and then look at the white witch in the chronicles Mm -hmm. of narnia that's just something i thought was neat um but you have so much stuff apparently in blade in the marvel comics there are a tribe of vampires that can turn themselves into ice shards uh that are called yiki ona so that's wild so that's something and then in dc comments dc comments i'm so tired in dc comics presents number 46 superman and the global guardians fight a group of magical villains one of whom was a yukiona oh okay yeah. Now, in an Akira Kurosawa film, in the film Dreams, the la- the segment The Blizzard features a man wandering through a blizzard and succumbing to the cold and seeing the Yukiona just before he dies. Uh, it's generally seen in the West among those unfamiliar with Japanese folklore as an example of surrealism in the film, but without people knowing like the folkloric implications of what he's seeing. So that's just a fun little bit of uh, perspective. Um, the Yukiona also appears as a monster of the week in Ninja Sentai Kakaranger, which is a live action television show. She can transform people into snowmen or create giant angry snowmen. Oh, that's incredible. I just love the variations on her so much. There's also an eponymous 
card, like a Yuki Ona card from the Kamigawa Extensions of Magic the Gathering in tabletop. So there's also uh, statistics for the Yuki Ona included in Pathfinder's Third Bestiary. Oh, very cool. There are included... There's a Yukiona card in Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> nice. And that's, yeah, in Pathfinder, they're um, undead, incorporeal undead formed from the spirits of women who freeze to death in the snow. So that's that particular version. And this is the thing I wanted to talk about, just that I found by accident. And it's so very loosely related to the Yukiona, but I just wanted to talk about it. So the character of Yukinojo in Enchanted in the Moonlight, a um, dating sim romance game visual novel by Voltage Inc. for iOS and Android devices. Somehow it always comes back to this. <laughs> so he is a character that is characterized as a Yukibito and is a male version of a Yukiona, complete with a translucent white veil over his hair. In his Ayakashi form, he has power over ice and snow, and even in his human form, his hands are always cold. So... (laughs) I see him. I can. I will send you the picture for this game, and I also just want to read the synopsis Please of this do. game because I'm not going to lie to you guys. This sounds like something I would have played uh, in high school or like maybe now. Because sometimes I just think. Sometimes she I just play like now. not like I should specify. I don't play like this. Like you know what I mean. Like the darty ones. <laughs> I mean like the really like like the really fluffy like made for 13 year old girls mm-hmm. games where you like get like love points with like pretty anime boys sometimes they're fun leave me alone so <laughs> i'm gonna read you the synopsis here so enchanted in the moonlight in it the player takes the role of a young woman who although she lives at her family's shinto shrine works as a librarian and considers her life completely ordinary until she begins having strange dreams about monsters trying to kill her and waking up under a red moon After a series of strange, life-threatening accidents from which she only narrowly escapes harm, she's approached by a group of strange men who claim they are not human, but Ayakashi, and that she has awakened to an inborn power that makes her a magnet for all kinds of supernatural nasties, hoping to use it to their own benefit. Okay, so here's a werewolf, and then Uh here's a vampire, right? Yeah. And then we have, all the way on the other side, we have our our Yuki-Ona boy, and this kid's some sort of demon, maybe. And then this guy in the middle is straight up just a cat boy. <laughs> yeah, of course he's a cat boy. So, like, don't know how that fits in. Um, he's a cat boy. He's a cat boy. Yeah, Actually, that's all there is to it. Um, he looks like Inuyasha. Okay. <laughs> like, he looks like Inuyasha, I'm just saying. Who is that's... also a cat boy, am I wrong? But if you see the young man with the veil and the big and the beads. I do, yeah, that's our boy, right? That's, that's our, our boy. That's snowy our snowy guy. That's our Yukibito. Yeah, you mentioned the veil, and I kind of figured. Mm-hmm. Also, I really want to finish reading this summary, because it takes right, a weird turn. Um, the five Ayakashi are the only reason she's lived through the day, and they continue. They promise to continue to protect her, but not for free. Their help comes at a price. In return for their protection, she'll have to bear one of them a child. Oh, that's gross. It's terrible. Yikes. This is not one of the games I would have actually played. It's just got a very similar format to the type of game I would have played. Ah, jeez. That's a horrible twist. I wish it was more like... Unless it, I wish it was more like, um, we're hoping to find the love of a human woman to break the curse and let us be human boys all the time, but you have to pick one. That's the format I want. <laughs> no, people wouldn't go for that, because then by dating the boy, you would turn him into not a cat boy. And then oh, what's the shoot. point? Well, then maybe it's, uh, you can have 
powers and also be a cat boy if we fall you in love. You have to choose which one of us you want to keep a cat boy. <laughs> <laughs> Only one. Whichever boy you kiss gets to stay a cat boy. <laughs> I'm going to write, write dating sims from now on. Please do. I'd play them. I'll play them out. <laughs> Like, okay, like, no joke. I'm, like, afraid of what this is going to do. But in all seriousness, if you can be trusted and you have, like, a cheesy, not distressing, like, free-to-play dating sim or, like, reasonably priced, I'll buy one. Uh, because I get ang- when I get anxious, I like to just, like, play a teenage girl who's trying to win the heart of a catboy, I guess. <laughs> um, it's good stuff. Just, like, let me know. Send me those recs. Send me those titles. <laughs> But that's what I wanted to close on because I just, I realized I had gone so far down the rabbit hole I would never come back out. And this is the ladder you chose to pull yourself back up. (laughs) Cool. Um, anything else? (laughs) We're all mad here. Um, um, pretty much just, actually, yes, let me... (laughs) (laughs) Um, let me just quickly say, uh, there is a, a little bit of, um, advice from this one, uh, from this one page from the demoniacal. They, uh, have a little bit of advice about the Yukiona, um, in terms of defenses. I'd like to give some survival tips. Uh, there's not much in terms of survival tips. It says, not sure. Though one way to identify Yukiona is the fact they don't leave footprints behind in the snow, or else don't have feet, period, and merely hover a few inches above the ground. I mean, there's that. Now, it does say that the Yukiona is similar to fairy beings and spirits, that it wouldn't hurt trying to use iron or salt, but we don't know for sure if that would do anything. And then basically it says... Otherwise, should one become the lover of a Yuki Ona or marry one, please do your best to keep your promise to her. Because <laughs> they don't like it when you break it. But also, I feel like that's just, like, good advice in relationships in general. Yeah, that's just generally, like, decency. Just, like, keep your promises is the survival tip, I guess. Keep your promises. Be honest with each other. I'm into that. I like that. So if I can leave you with one lesson today, it's not about it's not about cat boys, it's not about dating sims, and it's not even it's not even about whether or not the Yukiona has feet. It's just keep your promises to each other. Yeah. It's hard out there. Be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. Snow is pretty, but be careful about snow because hypothermia and frostbite and also apparently mysterious ladies that may or may not suck the life out of you. Yeah. That's uh but also like just really quickly cuz I haven't called her my wife yet this episode. She's beautiful and she's a snow goth and I love her and she's my wife. That's it the was end. implied. Thank we you. knew she was your wife. Thank you. She's a snow goth and I love her. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming today. <laughs> Thanks for coming to my TED talk. So, anyway, I hope you enjoyed the journey we went on today. I thought it was a marvelous journey. I did. I had a great time. Very good. I would just like to uh, give a big thank you to our home at Lunar Light Studios. Uh, They are a wonderful podcast network, home to many a great and lovely pod. So if you want to check out some of the other shows on that network, you should do so. Yeah, go check out The Good Boys Girls. Go check out Ink Tank. Check out Netflix and Kill or Storyboard or Badvertising. Uh, There are a whole host of shows on there. There's something for everyone, and you're guaranteed to find something that you like. Absolutely. I think at this point, if you like a thing, have an interest, I don't care how specific or niche that interest is, if you type it into a podcatcher, I bet you can find a podcast 
that will cater to that interest. And I promise Literally, you, like the more niche, the better. Oh like, yeah, your your chances of success are higher the more specific you're looking for a thing. Exactly. And what I'm saying is, you can probably find podcasts catered to your very specific and fun interests at Lunar Light Studios. I also want to thank our uh, team members. I want to thank our music creator our music creator if only there was a word for that the composer of our theme music no no, no let's roll with this I'd like why to haven't thank, they come up with a word for that yet i'd like to thank our music creator andrew giada for the use of our theme song i'd also like to thank audio wizard val patron for editing our episodes and also i'd like to thank you alex for being with me every week to talk about stuff And I'd like to thank you, too, Addison, for also being here every week to talk about stuff. And you, listeners. Couldn't do it without you. (laughs) And you, too, listeners. You listening right now. The secret third host. As always, seriously. (laughs) The secret third host, as always, in the booth with us, just outside of sight. Blink. Look to the side. You'll see them in your peripheral vision. That's what our listeners look like. Uh (laughs) The dust particles dancing in sunbeams. Uh, It's in the dark. It's what's always in the dark. Bastionarada. Okay, I'm done. So, as always, we hope we can keep you around and stay safe out there. <laughs>